We are in our second last week of a series on the book of Ephesians. And we're titled it, we've titled it Blueprints because there's so many aspects of this book of Ephesians where Paul just begins to talk about God's design for our lives in different ways. And this morning we look at his design for our lives uh, relationally. Um, there's so much that, to cover and we're only going to get through part of a section of Ephesians chapter 5 uh, today. But um, just while you're getting there, I want to just ask Lauren if you throw up the slide, the first picture for us. So the story goes like this, um, maybe a little bit blurry, but the story goes like this. Boy meets girl, a relationship begins to develop, and there's a moment where uh, the, the man in that relationship will ask the woman in that relationship if she will spend a lifetime with him. And there's usually a lot of thought and preparation that goes into that moment, uh, a little bit of trepidation on the, fact, uh, on, the, on the man's part. He's hoping he's reading this relationship properly <laughs> so that uh, the answer will be yes. And, um, and then from that point on, it's figuring out how do we now make one life out of two. Um, when, when Carrie Lynn and I have opportunity to meet with couples that are, that are um, that have just been engaged and are looking toward their marriage day, one of the things we like to do is we like to use a tool um, in, a, in a marriage preparation book, and the tool simply helps those couples to begin to think through, here, here's my family of origin, and here's some decisions that come up in every relationship. What was it like in my family? What percentage of that decision did my dad kind of influence, and what percentage of that decision did my mom influence? And then we ask them to question, well, what is the percentage going to be in your marriage? And so uh, just, just uh, a few decisions that you might be thinking about as well. Choice of a new car. What percentage of that decision was your dad's influence in your family of origin? What percentage was your mom's? And then what percentage decision are you going to give that in your marriage between the husband and wife? You don't have to call out the percentages that are in your family. Choice of where to live. Who kind of mainly influences that decision? We know that marriage is a partnership, but at some point you have to wrestle with these decisions, and if there's, if there's differing viewpoints, you have to find a way forward. Choice of furniture. For me, that would have been, you know, my mom. Choice of new car, it would have been my dad primarily. Mom didn't really care, you know, uh, maybe the color a little bit. Um, choice of your own clothes. Choice of, that's quiet here, yeah. Choice of... Uh, Choice of vacation, where are you going to go, go on vacation in your family of origin? Was that mainly your dad or your mom that influenced that? And how's it going to be in your marriage? Who's, um, choice of how to bring up children. Huge decision in a marriage, how that's going to look. It's a partnership. Choice of a number of children. Um, sometimes God has his hand in that as well. Choice of a husband's job. Choice of a wife's job. Determining how money is spent. And we, we just kind of go through this exercise with them, uh, just helping them to begin to think through some decisions that, you know, how's it going to look in our marriage? Because marriage is, is a partnership, but there's moments where you have to wrestle with uh, differences of opinion and get, and get through it to the other side. And so the next picture is, um, is what I feel uh, Paul is getting at in this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at. And you know, I love pictures. I love, I love that they can capture a moment and they, they can speak uh, of significant things. Doesn't that look like that, that hand, those hands are just fitting together so well? I mean, doesn't that look comfortable? Doesn't it look like there's a good fit there? 
And to me, that kind of speaks of our desire in our marriages where when we come together, two individuals with different preferences, different desires, different upbringing, and then we come together, God's design for us and his heart for us is that we would find a fit that just, uh, that, that is God's design for us. That as husband and wife, we would understand that God has a design and a pattern for marriage. You see, God hasn't just said, you know, um, a husband will leave, or a man will leave his mother and father and, and become one flesh with his, with his wife and then just kind of left it at that. So now you guys figure it out. Now God has a design in that particular and very important relationship of our lives. And so this morning we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5 and it's in your bulletin. Before we get there, um, I, uh, I was thinking about a moment in my life recently that just illustrated to me how important it is to understand, uh, to understand the design um, of how something is intended to function. I think I'm just ringing there a little bit now, Paul. Um, so I have one of these in my office, and once in a while I pick up my guitar and I'll play it. I know how this one works, right? You kind of you you put, I don't know if you can see it there. You, the, the bottom of it bears the weight, and you just kind of put it on there, and so you're your guitar is relatively secure. Well, I was up here um, practicing for one of the Sundays that I was going to lead worship. This was a couple months ago. Pastor Kyle's not here, but, um, and he saw me trying to use this one. Now, this one is designed for two guitars, right? One guitar, two guitars. The design is different. I kind of thought, well, it, 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 it must be designed the same. So here I am trying to, trying to balance this guitar on that little, that little bar, and I'm thinking, you know, that doesn't feel very secure, and, and I'm trying to get it to fit. I'm thinking, that doesn't, I don't think this is right. And Pastor Kyle comes up. He was very gracious. He just said, uh, that's not how you use that one. And um, he said, this is how you use it. He showed me. It's just a different design. So you put it like that, and it just kind of rests against that bar. And um, he didn't laugh at me. Didn't make me feel silly. <laughs> he just graciously said, you're, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> and I was thankful for that because I, I, it, it wasn't working for me. And when I think of, uh, when it comes to marriage, we kind of, by the time we're in our 20s, we, you know, we kind of figure out how to live life making our own choices, right? The, the single life. We kind of have a handle on that, I think. And then we're thrown into this relationship with another person who has kind of figured out how to live life on their own, and you come together, and, and there's an actual design that God has that helps that to work well, that helps that to look like this. And so this morning, we're going to look at Ephesians 5, uh, 21 to 33. And um, I think we're just going to jump right in there. I, I know, Lorna, I'm, thro- I'm throwing things off there with, with the slides, but let's, let's read that. Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. And, uh, and we'll just see what, what God wants to speak to us through this. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Uh, I thank you for the truth of your word that is meant to light our path I pray for our marriages today that you would speak to us, Lord, um, that you would strengthen those relationships. Thank you that you have a design for them. And Lord, we're very aware that often those relationships bring pain. And Lord, I pray this morning as well that wherever there's brokenness and pain and woundedness in in our marriages, Lord, would you heal that? Would you bring us to places of of, uh, greater strength together and in you? As we, as we learn what your design is, we ask these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Ephesians 5, Paul begins to talk about a relationship between husbands and wives. I'm going to start at verse 21. He says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then verse 22, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You may not realize it, but in, um, in reading this passage of Scripture, uh, it, it, it's fairly countercultural when it comes to our, the culture in which we live. Uh, if you walk into chapters today, um, you're probably not going to see many books that cover the topic of submission, right? Five uh, reasons why to submit to one another. Five benefits of a, of a submissive approach to your relationships. It's probably just not going to be there because we tend in our culture to focus on, on our rights, on our needs, and whether or not we want to admit it, we're fairly narcissistic in terms of it's really, it's about me protecting myself. And Paul, in verse 21, he kind of lays some groundwork. He's going to talk about husbands and wives. He's going to say things that are actually countercultural in his day and in our day as well. But verse 21, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he begins to kind of give this, this overarching approach to relationship. And that is that there's something about mutual submission that is powerful in a relationship. You can have equality without love. You can demand your rights in a given relationship, whatever relationship that might be. You can demand your rights and get them met, and there can be a relationship that is absolutely devoid of love. However, you can't be in a relationship where you are mutually submitting to one another without love. The foundation of that kind of approach to a relationship requires that there is love and respect for one another. And Paul just begins to say, this is a general term in our relation, or general um, exhortation, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes on and he gets a bit more specific and he begins to talk about husband and wife relationships. Do you know that the readers in Paul's day would have been scratching their head about this because uh, in Paul's day, marriage was not anything about uh, partnership. You see, in his day and in his culture, there would be arranged marriages. And so when it came that time for a, a young man and to find a bride, um, often women were given in marriage at around the time of puberty. That's pretty young. They didn't have a choice. And so marriage was just about 
keeping the family line going. It was about perhaps finding a family that you wanted to ally or align your family with to make some good connections because maybe they were, they were a family that could, could help you financially. And so you would begin to negotiate, hey, why don't, why don't our kids get married? And so marriage uh, was actually just fraught with divorce in the Roman culture of the day. Uh, often, often it was older men that were being betrothed to, or younger women betrothed to older men. And so divorce was, was commonplace. It was not unusual for the man to have another relationship on the side. And so marriage was, was not this place where there was a loving relationship for the most part between a husband and a wife. It was a very difficult um, cultural reality. And so into this place, Paul begins to speak about how husbands and wives are to treat one another And I want to be clear right off the start here today that that marriage is founded on the basis of mutuality. And what do I mean by that? That every marriage is to contain a a sense of mutual worth between the husband and the wife. Mutual worth. Mutual respect. Mutual giving and receiving of love and care. Mutual giving of oneself to your husband or or to your wife. Marriage is a partnership with both husband and wife giving 100% of themselves to the other. And so, in that foundational aspect of what God intends for marriage, Paul begins to give some different instructions to the wives as he does to the husbands. And sometimes this is offensive uh, to people when they begin to read the different instructions that Paul gives. And perhaps there's a phrase that can help us um, as we begin to, to understand where he's going with this, and it's this. Different but equal. Different but equal. And so while Paul begins to give different instructions to wives as he does to husbands in that relational thing called marriage, it does not mean that there is not equal worth, that there is not equal value, that in the sight of God that men and women are of equal value and worth. That, that is that is the foundation of who God is, that when he begins to form a little boy in the mother's womb, and then he begins to form a little girl in that same mother's womb, that there is equal value and worth, that they're both created in the image of God, and there's differences, but it doesn't have anything to do with value or worth. There's no second-class citizenship in God's view of you here today when it comes to the differences. And so in the context of relationship between husband and wife, we can acknowledge that there are differences without compromising the truth that those differences do not equate to a difference in worth or value. So important for us to understand. You know, in our recent history, um, in an attempt to bring equality between the sexes, really that that attempt has often focused on uh, erasing any notion that there's any difference at all. And so the logic kind of goes like this, that, that a little boy is born and a little girl is born. There's, there's differences in anatomy. But any other differences that begin to show up as they're raised is simply because of nurture. In other words, it's, it's us kind of telling them how to be a boy and how to be a girl. There's no innate difference there. And, and, and the, the, the end result may be a desire to make sure that there's equal opportunity. That's a good desire. And we have had to address inequality and opportunity, inequality in how both of the sexes are viewed. But it doesn't come by erasing differences. 
If you've raised a little boy and a little girl, you know that God has created them differently. And it's not just their anatomy. That little boys are wired in a different way than little girls are. And there's different needs. And I know that this is a bit of a generalization, but I believe that God has created a man and a woman to come together. And, and just like that, those two hands coming together, they complement one another. Equal worth, equal value, but different. And that's okay. In Genesis chapter 2, Adam was alone. And God said, um, God basically said, hey, this isn't good. You know, he created Adam out of the dust of the earth. He created the other animals out of the dust of the earth, Scripture says. And then he brought those animals to Adam, and Adam had, had work to do. He had to name those animals, and he did that. And then God realized at some, at some moment, you know, Adam, you're alone, and that's not good. So God decided, decided to create uh, someone to be with Adam. He didn't create another Adam. He created Eve. And then there's something in that design where, where a man and woman come together. Even anatomically, there is, they become one flesh. There are differences. And when we begin to, to come together in relationship as husband and wife and begin to respect and honor those differences, we can live out this place of, of just a, a blessing in our relationship as husband and wife. Adam's response when he saw Eve, uh, he said, finally, at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Adam realized, wow, God has provided me with someone who I can be in relationship with that is intimate and deep and that we can fulfill one another. Matthew Henry, I like the way he says it. He says this, the woman was made out of Adam's side. So it's interesting as well to note that when God decided to create Eve, he didn't take another scoop of dirt and create her. He put Adam to sleep. Eve, Eve, Eve was made totally differently than any of the other creation. Eve was, uh, Adam was put to sleep, and God takes a rib out of her side, and he fashions a woman. And so Matthew Henry says this, the woman was made out of Adam's side. She was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. There are differences, but it's, it's God's design is that we would, we would complement one another in those differences. And so Paul begins to share a pattern for the marriage relationship in which some differences are outlined. I want to just uh, look at this in, in two, two, pat, two uh, headings. Number one, Paul's message to men. And number two, Paul's message to women. Let's start with men. Paul's message to men. I believe in, in verse 23, he says this. He says, men, be a leader. Be a leader in your home. Verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife. And here's the example that he uses. This is huge. As Christ is the head of the church. And as we look at this a bit further, he begins to say, husbands, your pattern is Jesus. And let's look at Jesus' characteristics and begin to apply those to your relationship with your wife and you'll get it right. But, but I believe he's saying here, men, be a leader, that, that God has placed the ultimate responsibility for the family on the shoulders of the husband, and not that it's all about you. There's, there's a complementary uh, partnership in marriage, but there's something about the way that God has designed a man to function in his home is that he is to take leadership in a healthy, wholesome, loving way. And so I think Paul is saying, men, lead in your home. Lead. Take initiative. 
Be the one that, that understands the, the tremendous influence for good that you have in your family. Be a leader. God has designed you to lead your family. And so I think that's one of the things that, men, we need to come back to and just be affirmed in. Uh, I was on the way into Ottawa yesterday with uh, Isaac and um, Emmanuel. Are, are either of them here this morning? I think they're both out. And, uh, and so I, I'm thinking about today, right? I'm thinking about, you know, God, you're calling us to lead in our families. And, and, and I started thinking, what, is it, what does it mean to be a man? And I've been doing a little bit of reading about that because here's my heart for, for Emmanuel and Isaac and Judah is that somehow I would be able to impart to them what it means to be a man. So I asked them this question, how do you know when you're a man? <laughs> it's a bit of a deep question, maybe to ask. Oh, there's Isaac. Sorry, buddy. Are you okay with me telling this story? Okay. What does it mean to be a man? And, um, and so some of the responses were, well, you know, it depends on what culture you live in and, and how old you are. So, so being a man, depending on the culture, might depend on your age, right? When you get to a certain age, then, then you're a man now. And I think Emmanuel might have talked about, well, you work, right? A man, man works. That's part of what it means to be a man. It's an interesting thought. If someone was to pose that question to you and to say, what is manhood? What is authentic manhood? What would your answer be? I'm interested in doing some learning because I have three sons that I want to help to understand what authentic manhood is as God has designed it. There's a book that I've been reading. I want to give men give you four quick things. This isn't the, the main thrust of where we're going. But authentic manhood um, rejects passivity accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and expects the greater reward, God's reward, God's blessing for simply walking in the role that he's designed you men to walk in. And number three there is leads courageously. Number one is rejects passivity. Take initiative, men. Take initiative in your marriage. How does that look? I think you'll have to work that out. I think you'll have to give that some thought to pray about that. But it means taking initiative in loving your wife. It means taking initiative in investing in your children. It means taking initiative in setting aside some of your own personal interests for the sake of your family and your home. And so I believe Paul is saying, men, lead. You've been designed to do that. And so lead. And Paul uses Jesus' headship as an example. You know, Jesus took initiative. Jesus reached out in our direction first, right? We look at Jesus being willing to lay aside uh, his, his supernatural, you know, his, his godliness, so to speak, to lay that aside, to come and to suffer and die, taking initiative so that we could be drawn into relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so Paul says, in the same way, having the same attitude, husband, give yourself for and to your wife. If you're wondering how to treat your wife, have a look at Jesus. And so what, is, what does headship look like? It's not, it's not a reference to value or worth when Paul says the man is the head. It's not a position of privilege or superiority. Headship does not mean lording it over someone or being an authoritarian figure in your home. But headship is this. Headship is a reference to the responsibility that I have as a husband to give myself to my wife as Christ has given himself to the church. What an amazing example. And so Jesus gave himself completely. He emptied himself. He relinquished his glory, his rights, his very life. 
in order to save humanity. And so, so Paul is saying to men, lead, but here's how that looks. You're to be the head of your home, but here's how that looks. Look to Jesus for your example. It means being a giver, not a taker. It means giving up self-centeredness to promote the well-being of your family and your wife. Be a leader. Second thing that I believe Paul is saying to husbands is in verse 23, love your wife unconditionally. Verse 23, husbands, love your wives. Again, here's Jesus as our example. As Christ loved the church, when God gave Eve to Adam in the garden, God was giving Adam a gift, and Eve in, in Adam found a gift. There was a mutual blessing that they were to enjoy by God's design. And so he created them differently, but, but the, the onus on the husband is take initiative in loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Treat your wife as a gift and as a blessing worth cherishing and worth valuing. Nurture and care for your wife so that she's enhanced and established and secure in your love for her. And so a husband's uh, love does this. A husband's love reaches out to welcome his wife, to declare her worth, to affirm uh, the gift that she is to the husband in that relationship. What did uh, Adam say? He said, finally, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Here's someone that I can give myself to in a deep, deep way. And so Paul says, be a leader, men, and secondly, love your wife unconditionally. He actually goes a bit further and he says, you know, love your wife as you love yourself. Verse 28 and 29, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. You know, there's that phrase that goes around and, and it's, you know, happy wife, happy life, and and that can be a little bit um, unfair, and uh, I'm not sure if I like that phrase. But Paul says something along the same lines. He says, and if you love your wife, it's like loving yourself. You know, I believe that husbands, as we take initiative in loving our wives as God has designed us to love, in leading our families as God has designed us to lead, what, be- what begins is a cycle of blessing. And I believe it's the husband that has the opportunity to begin that cycle of blessing where as I love my wife and cherish her and nurture her and care for her and my children and my family, then there's a response that they are free to give back to you as a husband, that your wife can begin to respond to your initiative. Your wife can begin to respond to to your um, taking uh, initiative and loving her the way that God's called you to and, and as God helps you to. And then there's a a response that becomes easy to her. She begins to respond in kind, and she is able to come uh, under the leadership that the husband offers in the home. Why? Because he's begun a cycle of blessing. And so, husbands, when you love your wife, you're loving yourself. If you haven't begun to take leadership in doing that in your home and beginning to think about how does that look, I encourage you to begin to do that. You will set your family up for a cycle of blessing. So be a leader. Love your wife unconditionally and love your wife as you love yourself. A bit of a sobering note, and that is that, men, if, if we are to walk out our leadership in our homes as Jesus loves the church, then, then it means that we, we have to be in relationship with Jesus ourselves. Right? We kind of have to know his heart. We have to be walking in relationship with Jesus in order to be able to love like he loves. And so men, continue to foster your relationship with God. Make it a priority in your life as a man that I want to know what it 
means to follow God and to love God and to have a relationship with Jesus that's life-giving not only to me but to my family. Let's get to women. Paul's message to women. Verse 22, first message that he gives, submit to your husband's leadership. Submit to your husband's leadership. Verse 22 says, wives, submit to your husbands. You know, it's so important that in God's design, as men, as you take the initiative, that God's call to your wife is that she would submit to your leadership in a healthy way. What is submission? We have to understand so clearly what this is and what it's not. Submission is a free giving of yourself out of reverence for Christ, Paul says. And I realize that these verses have taken some wrong turns in how people have tried to use them. These verses have been abused to support the view that husbands uh, make all of the decisions and operate in an authoritarian way in the marriage relationship. And perhaps even worse than that, they may have been used to justify a husband's abuse in his relationship with his wife. Can we be very clear this morning? A husband's abuse of his wife is never right. Underline that word never and capitalize it. A husband's demeaning attitude toward his wife is never right. A husband's belittling of his wife is never right. And some of you this morning may live in an unhealthy environment in your marriage, and perhaps there are some destructive conditions in your marriage. And if you, as a woman, are being physically or verbally abused, you need to know that this is not a verse that can be held over you to just say, you know, the abuser gets to do his abuse with impunity. No, that's not what Paul is saying. If there was someone abusing you, they need to know that that is wrong and that is not okay and boundaries need to be put up so that the abuser realizes what I'm doing is wrong and I'm not going to continue to get away with this. Let's be very clear about what submission is and what it isn't. And if the abuser is hiding behind a verse such as this and just saying, you know, I get to treat you however I want because wives are to be submissive in the home. You need to know that that is not truth. And I realize that situations are complex, but, but women, part of the challenge of this verse is it's, it's been misused. And there is no abuser that gets to abuse with impunity. There needs to be boundaries in place, and they need to know that's wrong, and you don't get to do that. So submission is not. It's not agreeing on everything, even in a healthy relationship right? Have you ever had a disagreement on a choice with your husband and your wife? Yeah, you have. Yes, I have. (laughs) So submission is not agreeing on everything. It's, It's not having a little or no say in the decisions of your home. Someone put it this way, it's not leaving your brain at the altar and saying, you know, from the moment I put that ring on, I guess my brain's no good and it's all about the husband. No, it's not. Submission is not putting the will of your husband above the will of Christ. Submission is not living or acting in fear. Husbands are not bosses to be served. And so submission doesn't mean blind obedience or no opportunity for import or or that you would not question anything about a decision that's being made. It's not what healthy submission is. John Piper says this, submission is the defined calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership. 
and so help to carry it through according to her gifts. And so we need to remember that submission is something that's very specific. Submission can never be demanded, it can only be given. Husbands, if you've ever said this to your wife, well, you just have to submit because that's what the Bible says. You've misunderstood this verse. Submission can't be demanded. Wives, submission is a voluntary decision on your part to affirm the leadership of your husband in the home as he loves you, as he cares for you, as he nurtures you, as he's a leader in the healthiest sense of the word in your home. And so scripture exhorts women to voluntarily follow their husband's leadership. And it's shown by allowing the man to take leadership in the relationship. You know, how does that look in the nitty-gritty of the day in and day out? I think that's something that you have to discern for, for your home, right? Does it mean that the man always gets to choose the model of the car? Well, maybe not. Maybe the wife gets to choose, and that's okay with you as a couple. But submission in terms of this principle is, is a woman saying to a man that loves her and that cares for her, says, I recognize your responsibility as the leader in our home, and I willingly and voluntarily honor and respect you as a leader in our home. And I affirm your God-given role. Barbara Rainey says this about her husband, Dennis. She writes uh, some material from a wife's perspective. She says, to become the servant leader that God has commanded him to be, her husband's name is Dennis, Dennis needs my gracious respect and submission. And when Dennis loves me in the way he is commanded to, I can more easily submit myself to that leadership. I do this with an attitude of entrusting myself to God. And so in this cycle of blessing, a husband, this is how it looks, a husband gives himself to his wife unselfishly. He loves her with an unconditional, undying love as Jesus has loved us. He takes initiative in meeting her needs. He takes pleasure in understanding how he can be a blessing to her and how he can protect and provide for her and for his home. And in that atmosphere, the wife is able to to affirm the leadership of the husband and is able to come under that loving protection that a husband is meant to give her in a relationship and is able to affirm the God-given role that, that he has in that relationship. It's a lot of responsibility and we don't always get it right but I believe there's a cycle of blessing as we put these principles in place. And the second thing that Paul says to to women, uh, to the wife, is respect your husband, Ephesians 5.33. And what does that mean? Well, when you respect your husband, you value his opinion, you appreciate his commitment to you, consider his needs and his values. I just want to say that, wives, you have tremendous power for good in, in your relationship, as does the husband. I've mentioned this before, that Boys, as they're growing up, they have one question that they need someone to answer for them, and it's the father's job to answer it if that's the best answer they can get, or the best place they can get that answer. And and the question is this as a boy, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? And a boy needs to hear his father's affirmation, you have what it takes. You can do this. You can fulfill the call on your life as a man. You have what it takes. A little girl needs to answer, have a different question answered, and that is, am I lovely? Am I of value? Am I of worth? 
And again, these are generalizations, but, but there's something about the way God's created women and men with some differences that mean there are some different questions that are probably uppermost in their heart and in their mind. And can I suggest to you women that as a husband, your wife is no longer a boy, but boy, you have tremendous power to affirm him in the responsibility that he has to lead your home. And conversely, you have tremendous power to tear that down within him. And so the question your husband needs to have answered is, do I have what it takes to lead my home? Can I, can I be a man as God's intended me to? And you know, when a wife begins to affirm, you know, I affirm your God-given leadership. I affirm that, that God has called you to this in our home, and I want to affirm that in you. Boy, that does something to a husband that is so significant and so deep. Men, when was the last time you gave sacrificially for your wife and for your family? When was the last time you took initiative to love her in a way that is deep and that is nurturing? And perhaps women, the question is, when was the last time I've just said to my husband, you know, I affirm your leadership in our home. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for taking initiative. And perhaps your, your husband is struggling with taking initiative. Perhaps your, your husband is struggling in some areas. There are situations that I don't have answers for, and I don't want to just simplify everything here. My prayer for you, if you're in a situation where the husband is not loving as Christ loved the church, or where the wife is not respecting a husband's healthy leadership, my prayer is that you would have wisdom in that situation in your marriage. That God would give us wisdom to know how to walk this through, because it really does take two, doesn't it? This cycle of blessing takes two to be willing to step into it. I want to just bring that, that picture back up as we come to a close this morning. And I really believe that marriage works best when, when both a husband and a wife take up their responsibilities and their roles voluntarily and without coercion. By roles, I don't mean that the wife always stays at home taking care of the kids and the man is out working. I'm talking about the, the principles that we've looked at here. That men, you are to be a leader in your home. You are to love your wife unconditionally. And women, you are to affirm the leadership of your husband as he serves and loves you as God has called him to. That's what I mean by roles. There's so much that can be flexible in a relationship and can work well in your home as you and as a husband and wife work out the different roles that come with, with a relationship such as marriage. But I do believe that this is God's intent is that he does have a design, husbands, in your relationship with your wife and in your role, that he does have a design, women, in your relationship with your husband and in your role, and that as we put into place some of these things, that God honors that and there's a cycle of blessing that begins to take place. Marriages are under such stress and strain today. There are all kinds of voices that will tell us all kinds of things about how to make a marriage work. And I believe that Paul gets to some things that are so important. And the conclusion that he brings us to in in verse 33 is that men, you must love your wife as you love yourself, and women, you must respect your husband. And again, we can't get into it today, but but there's this whole realm of understanding that, that a woman has been designed to accept the love of a man, and a man has been designed to need respect in a healthy way. And there's different needs Men, your needs are different from your wife's. Uh, women, your needs are different from your husband's. 
But as we begin to put some of these principles in place, that we, we begin to move toward a place where we can enjoy a relationship that's healthy and wholesome, and that reflects God's design, so that you're not trying to do this and wondering, you know, why isn't this working very well? But you understand what the design is, and you begin to say, God, with your help, I want to live out what it means to be a man and a husband in my marriage. And women, you can begin to say, I want to, I want to know to live out what it means to be a wife in my relationship and to affirm my husband's leadership. And how does that look in the day-to-day? God will give you wisdom for that. Why don't we stand? And I I just want this morning um, for us to pray for our marriages. And Stephanie, why don't you come? We can can close with, um, with a time of response. But I really felt a burden today to pray for our marriages, to pray that God's design, that we would, we would begin to see those in our relationship if we're not. And to acknowledge again that the tragedy is that marriages can often bring deep, deep pain. And that this morning, if you're carrying that from a, from a, a relationship that's been broken or that's not healthy, that God would just give you strength, that he would minister to you this morning that what we've looked at in Ephesians chapter 5 would not be a source of discouragement, but you would just begin to pray, God, as much as it depends on me, help me to walk out your plan for my marriage. God, give me the courage to set boundaries that need to be set, if that's what's needed. Men, that we would pray that God gives us the strength to take initiative, to reject passivity when it comes to our families and our homes and our marriages, children. We would lead in the way that God calls us to. So would you join with me as I pray for my marriage and for our marriages? God would just do just something today significant. I just believe that God's word speaks to us in in the facets of, of need that we have, and your need may be different from mine, but God can speak to our needs and give us wisdom. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you, first of all, for your design for marriage that's good. That, in fact, it's to be a picture of how you love us and how we can respond to your love toward us. And, Lord, we're so aware that in our humanity, in in our brokenness, that, that there's often tremendous pain in our marriages. And I just pray today that that by your grace and your mercy that you administer healing to marriages today. You know what that looks like in each relationship. You know the facet of need that we have in our marriages. And we we just lift up our marriages to you today and we pray that that you would just give us uh, strength and wisdom to walk out your plan for our marriages. And as husbands, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, uh, to reject passivity God, you've designed us to take initiative in loving our families and our homes and putting them first. And I pray that you'd give us courage and wisdom to know how to do that as Jesus is our example. And I pray for the wives here today 
that you would give them great wisdom in knowing how to affirm their husband's leadership and how how to affirm his role and how to be that voice that is so influential in his life in the role that he's been called to. And where there's dysfunction, I ask that you would give wisdom in knowing how to walk that through. Lord, we need your wisdom. We need your strength. We need clarity. And so, Lord, in the decisions that may need to be made, I just pray for strength. So, Lord, we are thankful. We're thankful for your design. Help us to walk it out. Pray for every marriage that's represented in this church family that there would be health and wholeness. I pray for every couple that stands here today that is carrying pain between them and they don't know how to move forward, they don't know where to turn. I pray that today would mark a turning point in their relationship. You would minister to them, bring health and wholeness, I pray. So we thank you for the privilege of coming to you with our marriages and we just hold them to you today and we pray for strength. Pray for your design to be, uh, to be um, realized in those relationships. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You're welcome to stay. We just want to um, allow you to continue to receive ministry if you want to stay and just worship. If you need to go, feel free to go. But God bless you. Bless your marriage. May God give you strength and wisdom this week in your marriages. And may they be strong. May they reflect God's design. Stephanie, why don't you lead us? You're free to go. Stay if you'd like to just worship for a bit longer.